I'm just going to consider verses 9 to 11 with you this afternoon. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been, who, who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Well, Christmas is a time of lots of traditions. Perhaps you have traditions here. Family traditions of food or decorations or gifts or activities, whatever it might be. You, perhaps they're traditions just family or maybe they're, they're cultural traditions that you have or uh, just personal things that you tend to do. And as you, perhaps as you, uh, as you come together to create a new family, you get married, you, you take old traditions from one side and the other side and you make new traditions as well. And you, it's a time for... When, when, uh, when, when those things take place. And traditions can be good, can be helpful, can be just fun and enjoyable. Traditions t- can shape how we, how we uh, approach this particular season. And when it comes to the stories that we often hear, the, the, uh, the stories of, uh, of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, tradition also plays a strong role, a big role. For the, 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 uh, the stories about the birth of Jesus Christ that we find in the Scriptures have over time and in history been, uh, had, had traditions develop around them. New details that have been added into the stories and, and that have embellished the stories and added, uh, added some, some, uh, some things. You know, it's not always unhelpful for, uh, for details to be you know, in the unpacking of a biblical story for some cultural details to be added, some understanding of the background, the context, and, you know, it's a very different world where Jesus, the world Jesus was born into in the Middle East is very different 2,000 years ago than our world is here in, 
in Canada today. And so sometimes those extra details can help, and I'll probably hear some of those today, just giving a sense of the background. But at other times, and often, these details can actually hinder our understanding of the biblical story and can distort the focus that the biblical authors are trying to give. And so traditions uh, about, particularly it seems, about the, the, the birth of Christ can overshadow the reality of what the Scriptures declare. And perhaps there's no uh, worse example of it than in what tradition has done to the story of the wise men who came to Jesus. When you think of the wise men, uh, perhaps you think of three, though the Bible tells us and gives us no numbers. And perhaps you're imagining these, these royal kings who are visiting, though the term that's used for wise men is not very likely referring to any kings at all. Perhaps you, you are singing about them, though that's not a true description. We, think of these, uh, uh, we can think of these wise men traveling alone, just three lonely camels in the desert, with a bright star in the sky, though it's very uh, unlikely that they traveled alone, and very unlikely they went through the desert. And as we're going to see, it's thought that the star was leading them all the way along either. And perhaps most egregious of all is nativity scenes that puts Mary and Joseph, the baby, the shepherds, and the wise men all in the same place, all on the same night, when, in fact, these men likely traveled many weeks, and the Scripture evidence tells us that that scene, that this was some time, perhaps two, up to two years after Jesus was born, before they came. Hey, you might think, well, <clears throat> it's probably, maybe it's Matthew's fault. I mean, he didn't give us enough detail. We need a little bit more. We're curious. We want to know more about what's going on. And so Matthew should have written and give us a, try to, he should have satisfied our curiosity. But you see, the problem is that all of these details focus us in on the wise men. Matthew's focus and is not on the wise men. The wise men, their focus is not on themselves. The focus is all on the child at the center, on the Christ child. That's who they were focused on. That's what the story is all about. And so Matthew tells us as much as we need to know so that we can be focused in on the Christ. That's where we need to fix our attention as we come to this story this afternoon, this biblical, true, divinely inspired story. We need to fix our attention on Jesus Christ, not our curiosities about the wise men. We need to focus on, on who He is, what stirred their reaction to Him. We need to look and see their joy and their worship and their generous offering to Him and make us think not, well, what, what about all these details about them, but say, what does this tell us about Jesus Christ? And if that was their reaction to Jesus, what should our reaction be? What joy do you have to hear about the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of God into the world, taking to Himself a true humanity so He can save us in our humanity from our sin. What joy does that bring us? What joy, what, what worship do we offer to our God? What do, we, what do we give Him? Does it bring us to fall on our knees before God and to worship Him? And what offering, what are we giving to God is anything too much to give to God? But are we giving ourselves as an offering of service, a joyful offering to our God as we come and encounter Jesus Christ as He is, as he is 
spoken of in the gospel, as he has offered to us in the gospel. We need to fix our attention on Jesus Christ. And that, Lord willing, is what we're going to do as we consider verses 9 to 11 of Matthew chapter 2. Like these wise men, the coming of King Jesus should make you rejoice, worship, and offer. The coming of King Jesus should make you rejoice, worship, and offer. That's really the three ways we're going to look at this text. First, rejoice over King Jesus, verses 9 and 10. Worship King Jesus in verse 11a, and then offer to King Jesus in verse 11b. Well, we're jumping right into the middle of this narrative, and so it's helpful to set the context a bit of what had gone on. They, these, <clears throat> there, there were these wise men who had traveled likely from a very long way away. They came from the east. Some think they came from Babylon, where, uh, where this term, interestingly, uh, for wise men is used in Daniel to describe some of the, the, those who uh, the kings of Babylon would turn to for wisdom. But there's, a, there's some speculation, again, this is not a declaration of truth, but there's some speculation that perhaps they uh, had been familiar with Daniel's writings as he had been a wise man in Babylon and so had, maybe had come across some of the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. But these were men who had traveled a long way. They were wise men or magi, that is, uh, philosophers, the, the, knowing much, being discerners of, of divine signs. That was their reputation. That was what they considered to be. Again, that's the type of person we come across often in Daniel, in, 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 the, in, in the book of Daniel. These wise men had, at, at some time, they had seen a star in the sky and had, uh, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, come to understand that this would have been, this was a star that had a divine message, a message that declared the King of the Jews had been born. Perhaps they had, this was also, as they, as they, perhaps if they had the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, they would have looked at both of these together. But however it all came about, there is some mystery here. We don't know exactly what the star looked like. How did they discern that was the, uh, the a sign of the coming of the king of the Jews? We don't know. God revealed this to them in divine revelation. And so that's what they understood it was. And they believed this is, this is what it meant. And so they headed for Israel. They thought, well, we need to go find this king of the Jews. And so they began this journey to Israel. And it's very interesting. It doesn't seem very likely that the, it doesn't seem like the star led them to Israel because they didn't go to Bethlehem first. They went to Jerusalem because that was the logical place you'd go. If a king has been born in a country, you're very like, your first thought is there's probably born in the capital, probably born in the palace, probably where you'd find a king. And so where do they go? They go to Jerusalem. They go to King Herod, who was not really a king, but was said, liked to call himself a king, but was a Roman uh, governor of that area. And they went to Herod and said, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Herod was disturbed by this because suddenly it sounded like a threat to his own power. And he called together the Jewish religious leaders and he said, where is the king of the Jews to be born? They, quoting Micah, the prophet, said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And they quote from Micah 5, verse 2. And so Herod uh, said to the wise men, go find him and then come back, and I want to come worship him. Tell me where he is. Of course, he didn't. He wanted to kill him because he wanted no threat to the throne. So, but the wise men heard this. Now they were leaving the palace, and that's where we pick up 
the story in verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Again, an indication that the star hadn't led them all the way there. It seemed they had seen the star, and then they had made their way to Israel, the star no longer being there or not seeing it. And now they've come out of the palace, and the star appears again. And now it seems to lead them to Bethlehem, a divine sign as God was leading them to where he wanted them to go. And in his providence, he hadn't led them right to Bethlehem. He'd led them to Jerusalem first, and now in a bit of a circuitous way, brought them to Bethlehem. But when they saw the star... Notice the joy that it gave them. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It's hard to add any joy to the joy that these wise men would have felt. That word exceedingly is the, is the only time in the New Testament it's used of joy. It's often used of fear and of sorrow, but it's not used of joy. But here it is, just this one time. And not only was it exceeding joy, it was exceedingly great joy, just as the angels proclaimed at the birth of Christ. There's, there's, I give you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. This was the kind of joy that comes at the birth of Jesus Christ, when God's plan of salvation is being fulfilled. The Christ has been born. They were joyful. But not only they had seen the star, no, that along their journey, they Perhaps it was uh, doubts. So did we really see what we thought we saw? Does it really mean what we think it means? But now they saw the star again, and their search was beginning to bear fruit. They were rejoicing. And it's quite amazing to think about this, because these were Gentiles, not Jews, who didn't have a lot of knowledge about the promises of God, but had, clearly had some, who had come all the way to Israel looking for the king of the Jews. How much did they know? That's probably a question you want to ask Matthew, but he doesn't really tell us exactly what they knew. Did they know that, he was, that, that, that the king of the Jews was more than just a human king? Did they know he is God come in the flesh? Did they know this king was not going to sit on a human throne, but was going to live and die a humiliating life and death for the salvation of sinners? Did they know all these details well, they still lived in the shadowlands of the Old Testament. They still lived under lots of promise and very little fulfillment in terms of the coming of God's plan of salvation. A lot that was spoken of and in terms that even the prophets longed to look into but did not fully know and understand how their own prophecies would be fulfilled. And yet it seems very clear, although we don't know all the details that they knew, though we don't know exactly what they knew, it seems clear they were believers. They were followers of God. Because they, were, they saw the sign, they followed, they obeyed. And why would they seek the king of the Jews? Why would Gentiles come? Why would they care about the king of the Jews? It's not like Israel was its own power. They were under Rome's authority. They weren't even their own, they weren't under their own nation. Their own, they weren't an independent country. Why would they seek the king of the Jews? It's because they had found a great treasure They had come to believe in God, and though they probably didn't see all the details yet, and we're going to see more of this, yet it's very clear they believed in God's Word. Their faith was now becoming, they were seeking, and they weren't going to stop seeking until they had seen this King of the Jews. 
until their faith had become sight. And it's very interesting. We think of these Gentiles who had come, just according, as according to prophecy, Isaiah, chapter, Isaiah, Isaiah 60 that we read, and many other prophecies of the Gentiles coming to Israel and exalting the Christ, exalting the Messiah, exalting the one to be born. And yet, where were the Jews? Where were the own, the people, God's people? These religious leaders came to the palace. They heard, there's a message, somebody is seeking the king of the Jews. Where is he going to be born? And, and the wise men, no doubt, told the story, and he's going to be, he's going to be you know, the, the, we've seen his star, and, and he's been born. And, and yet, you can imagine, these wise men are going outside the palace. They see the star, and they're excited, and out come the religious leaders who had just, prom, who had just told them all they knew about the Christ, and they didn't follow them. They didn't lead the way to Bethlehem. No, they turned and went back to their study, went back to their own lives. They weren't looking for the Christ. They weren't that interested in the Christ. A few Jews were looking for the coming of the Messiah. There were those, Simeon, Anna, Zechariah, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. There were, there were those looking and longing for the Christ to come. But so many of the Jews were not. They were living with low expectations even these religious leaders, though they knew much about the Scriptures, they did not have that effect in their heart that they ought to have. They should have said, is he born? Is he here? Show us. Tell us. Tell us the good news. We're going to go with you. We're going to go seek him. And it's interesting because the, the, the wise men came to Herod and they said, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? And what does Herod do to the, the chief priests? He doesn't say, where is the king supposed to be born? He said, where's the Christ supposed to be born? The Messiah, the long-promised one of God. He knew the connection. They knew the connection. The king to sit on David's throne is the Christ, the anointed one of God, to be the savior of sinners. They knew, but they didn't know. John 1.11, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Here are the Gentiles. We're excited for the coming of the Christ and the Jews rejected. We're not excited. We're not interested. Jesus warns in Luke chapter 11, He said, The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. And so the wise men of the east will stand up in judgment and condemn all who should have looked for the Christ, but failed. Matthew is a, Matthew, Matthew's gospel is written to Jews. The gospels have their unique audiences. And Matthew's, uh, Matthew's gospel is written to his own people, to the Jewish people. We see this because in Matthew, more than any of the other gospels, Matthew constantly is saying, this was done in fulfillment of this prophecy. He's constantly saying to them, this is the one long promised. He's the fulfillment of prophecies. Believe on this one as the Messiah. Don't look for another. And here he is in this statement, rebuking his own people saying, here the Gentiles are seeking the Christ and you're not. They've seen. What have they seen that you haven't? What are, what are they believing that you're rejecting? Oh, what about us? J.C. Ryle writes that how often the very people who live nearest to the means of grace are those who neglect them the most. 
Those who live nearest to the means of grace are those who neglect them the most. That is, the means of grace are those ways by which God ministers to His people, cares for His people, those by which He builds and, and, and nurtures and matures His people. It is the means, covenant children, by which God is calling you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have privileges that many, many, many don't have. We all know more than these wise men did. We know who Jesus Christ is. He's seen His full first coming and everything He came to do in His first coming. His birth, the declarations about Him as the divine Son of God. We know He is God come in the flesh, very God and very man. We know what He came to do to teach and to proclaim the kingdom and to die on the cross to usher in the kingdom through His own death and to save sinners. We've seen the empty grave and the ascended, ascended Lord up into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We know far more as the gospel has come to us in fullness. And so we have far more reason to rejoice, to give thanks, to praise God. Whatever these wise men knew, we know more. That's why Jesus, Jesus said of John the Baptist, he's the greatest prophet, and yet those who are least in the kingdom are greater than him. Why? Because those who are least in the kingdom have seen its, have seen its fulfillment in ways that John never did. We have seen great fulfillment. We know far more, far more to make us rejoice. It's the gospel story, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Is it still excite you and stir you to joy? Do you, need, do, do, do you rejoice that Jesus Christ has come or has the story kind of become a bit, I've heard that before, a bit ho-hum. Need a little embellishing, a few more details, answer a few of my curiosity questions and then I'll be a little more excited. Then I'll know something new that I didn't know before. Well, the call is to rejoice in the word that God has given and the message that God has given, but in, especially in the Christ whom God has given. Not only that He is the Savior whom God is sending into the world, but that we would rejoice that He's our Savior. Is He your Savior? Are you believing in Him? Rejoicing not just because He's the Savior, but because He's your Savior. These wise men... They sought Him, and by God's leading, they found Him. They knew their need of Him. You and I need to know our need of Him. In 2,000 years, the need of man has not changed. We still need to seek and find this Savior. And God gives Him to us. He declares Him in the Scriptures. If you are not yet in Christ, if you have never found Him, you need to seek Him in the Scriptures, to believe on the testimony of the Word of God, and rejoice in this One as your Savior. Like these wise men, the coming of King Jesus should make you rejoice. It should also make you worship and offer to Him. These wise men were led to Bethlehem. The star led them to the place. So they come to the house, not the stable, the house where they, where they were. They didn't just stay out there and say, wow, we've, uh, we've, uh, good. We, saw, we see where the end is, so let's go home. Uh, there's probably something, they're probably busy. I don't want to disturb them. No, they wanted to go in. They went further than just seeing where he was. They went in to find him, and they worshipped him. Now imagine, they're standing outside this house. It's not a palace. 
they enter in and they see the young child with Mary, his mother, but they didn't stop and say, oh, this is a pretty simple place. Where are, the, where are all the, 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 the servants? You know, you're a king. Where are all your servants running around? They don't see anybody. Where's the, this is the seems just, sorry, you know, we, they, they weren't sitting there saying, oh, sorry, wrong house, wrong house, clearly wrong house. Well, well sorry to disturb you, we're going to go find, this is not where a king lives. They didn't see it as too simple, but it's very interesting because they go into this house, they see the king of the Jews sitting on his mother, and they fall down on their faces and they worship him. They worship him. That was their reaction, not offended by him because no king lives this way, but they worshiped him. We wonder how much they knew, but their actions speak loudly. Yes, that same term for worship can be used to speak of paying homage to a, a, uh, a king, giving proper respect uh, to someone in authority, someone we ought to give a, a respect to without worship, without the, without the idea of, of religious worship. But this was clearly more than just giving some respect because he had nothing, no outward glory. There was nothing to say outwardly. This is the king. This is the king of the Jews. And his, his, his uh, divine glory was veiled by his humanity. And yet in faith, they didn't question that. They fell down and worshipped. They worshipped. They gave him honor that had to come by faith recognizing him and giving the only proper response. And again, we have far more reason, outwardly speaking anyway, to worship him. Not in Christ, because Christ is Christ, he was worthy to be worshipped as much then as he is today. Yet, for us, we have far more understanding by which we are stirred to worship this Savior whom God has sent because His glory is no longer concealed. We know His full humiliation. He was born into this world, born under the law, born in misery, taking to Himself all the misery that we endure. His whole life was a misery-filled life. Humiliation. He's God come in the flesh, but not coming riding high as a royal king, but as uh, outwardly, but, but enduring what we endure. His glory was, his, was concealed, veiled by His humanity. We've seen Him through His whole life, and then His rejection of men, by men, and then His death, His suffering, His death. But we've also seen His glory. We've also seen that, that glorious resurrection. We've seen, again, that ascension and, and, and rising up into heaven. We've seen the whole of, that Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11 describes coming down and returning and being exalted and lifted up, being given a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow that is in heaven and on earth that is under the earth. We know who Jesus is. In His glorious exaltation, they knew just the beginning of His humiliation. And they fell down and worshipped Him. Our worship should be greater, should be filled with greater awe and wonder. Would you have worshipped Jesus if you had walked in that house with those wise men? Would you have worshipped Him? Do you worship Him with such zeal and joy now? 
especially as you come each Lord's Day in the public worship that God calls you to? Do you prepare yourself eager, expecting to come and in faith to meet with Jesus for His Spirit to come upon us? God calls us into His special presence and worship and all the way through until He dismisses us with His gracious blessing. We are in the awesome and special presence of God. Do we come expecting or do we come thinking, really, this is it? Church is a little simple. We expect if we're meeting with a king, there'd be a lot more frills. And do we come simply to see our God? Is it enough? Do we come and do we eagerly anticipate coming again, returning, coming back? Seek this Jesus. Believe on who he is. Rejoice in him. Worship him. Just like these men. Like these wise men, the coming of King Jesus should make you rejoice, worship, and offer. Consider the joy and the worship. And now as part of their worship, they gave him offerings. It's worth considering all on its own. The second part of verse 11, when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In worship, they brought him treasures. They brought him the most valuable things. These were not the last minute, what can I get at the corner store, because I forgot it was Christmas tomorrow, uh, kind of gifts. This was not one day shipping on Amazon, whatever I pops up and is recommended. These were the most precious things. These were those things they could bring from their own country. This is how we show the worthiness of the one we're coming Again, coming to, to, to see. Again, they weren't like, whoa, you know, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll just show some respect and we'll leave and find someone else a little more worthy to give these things. But they gave generously and joyfully what they had. They gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh being a, a sweet-smelling uh, uh, stuff, that substance that was, that was developed from like a, a trees, uh, like a tree resin that came off or the sticky stuff on trees. And so they, 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 frankincense and myrrh were, were sweet smelling. They were used for incense or, in the case of myrrh, used for medicine. But they were expensive. They were hard to come by. They were hard to, to, to it took a lot to, to, to bring, make a small amount. And so these were valuable things. Again, you might say, why these three? Why did they bring these three things? Well, we're not told in detail why gold. And, and, but it, what it does together is it shows us, yes, their generosity, but more than that, it shows us the worthiness of the recipient. shows us the worthiness of the recipient. The worthiness of Jesus Christ. Look how much these men had given. They had traveled for weeks from a faraway land. That wouldn't have been cheap. That wouldn't have been easy. That was difficult travel. This wasn't getting on a plane and, and landing an hour later and, and, you know, we'd still be back by supper. This was a long, long journey. And they had, they had come giving themselves, and now they were consecrating these extraordinarily expensive and, and generous gifts to His service, for His purpose, to honor Him. These were not stingy worshipers. You know, I gave you an hour. Good to go this week. They were not stingy worshipers. But this is what is natural when you have a true encounter with Jesus Christ, you are willing to give Him all, to give Him everything. Don't be stingy. Matthew Henry says that if we're sincere in our surrender to Jesus Christ, we will hold nothing back, not even our own selves. 
or what is dearest to us. Of course, that's exactly what Paul writes in Romans 12, doesn't it? As he has unpacked the glorious good news of the gospel from Romans 1 to 11, now he comes to the now what? The therefore. Now that you, you know, now that you know of your sin and your salvation that God has provided, now what? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable that you would give your entire life in service to Jesus Christ. The unbeliever says it's completely unreasonable. Jesus as an accessory to your life, a little add-on help, great. Jesus as a little bit of fire insurance, because you don't want to go to hell. Yeah, that sounds about right. A couple times a year, Christmas and Easter, we'll show up in church, and maybe that'll be enough if we do that. As long as there's not too much preaching. But surrender my life to Jesus. Give Him everything that I am. Give Him all. Make sure that everything I have is devoted to His service, whatever I have. No, no. That's completely unreasonable. Perhaps some might have looked at these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and thought, what a waste. You're giving these gifts to a toddler. What is he going to do with gold besides put it in his mouth and try to eat it? What is he going to do with frankincense and myrrh? Why so much effort? You're trying too hard. You're giving too much. Don't just be reasonable. And they said we are because he's worthy. He's Jesus. He's the king of the Jews. He is worthy. These wise men, no doubt of, of some age and stature, were not too proud to say, I'm not giving this to this little two-year-old or one-year-old or however old Jesus was at the time. It's not a waste because He is worthy. It's never a waste to give your life to Jesus because He is worthy. And if you know Him, you know He is worthy. And you know it is completely reasonable to serve Him, having been freed from service to Satan, having had the bondage, the shackles of, and, and, and the, the shackles of service to Satan, and the bondage of being in the kingdom of darkness removed, being brought into the kingdom of, of the Son of God's love, and to be, to be free to serve Him. It is completely reasonable that our lives be given to His service. However old you are, everything you have is from Him. Everything is for Him. If you encounter Jesus Christ, give Him everything and hold nothing back. Like these wise men, the coming of King Jesus should make you rejoice, worship, and offer. That's what we learn from these most unlikely worshipers, these Gentiles who came from a faraway place when all around Jesus were Jews looking for the Messiah or thinking about the Messiah, maybe thinking that someday he'll come, but missing the point that he had already come and entered into the world. Here come these Gentiles with gold and frankincense and myrrh, searching for the king of the Jews, finding him, worshiping him with great joy. It's a pattern for you and me to follow, not to neglect the blessings, the knowledge, all that we, we know so much of him. We ought to rejoice to worship and to offer him all. Do you see Jesus Christ like these men did. Is their reaction a mirror to your own reaction? Does it cause joy in your heart to think of the coming of the Savior and of the work He's done? Does it stir you to worship? 
not because you needed all these extra traditional details to fill in and, and make it a little more uh, exciting of a story, but just stirring a worship that God has come into our world to save us, to save sinners. And does it drive you to offer everything, your time, your talents, and your treasures to God in service, your body and your soul? Thank God for the revelation, this revelation of who Jesus Christ is for what we know. If you are believing in Him and giving your life in His service, offering, and though we fail in many ways to fully give ourselves, yet we can truly, have, we've truly given ourselves to Him and we're striving to give ourselves to Him even more than give thanks to God for that He has worked in your heart what He worked in their hearts. But if you do not know this Lord Jesus, if you've not seen Him like they have, then come today. Look upon the Savior. Seek Him. You will find Him. God is leading you to Him in the Scriptures. Rejoice at His coming. Worship Him. Offer yourself to Him as you believe on who He is. He's not just another child with another mother in another house in another city in a different part of the world. But He is Jesus the Christ and there is none like Him. And there will never be another like Him. This season, as you read the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, ask God for a clear view of Him, free of human traditions, free of a heart that perhaps doesn't want to truly understand Him, but that He would give you a clear view with a, with a longing heart for Jesus Christ. And ask God for fresh love, a fresh love for God and for this Savior. Fresh love that gives you joy as you consider who He is. A fresh love that brings you to worship Him. A fresh love that says, All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. Amen. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank You and praise You and bless You for this message, this hope, this reminder that the focus of our entire lives ought to be on Jesus Christ and who He is. Lord, we pray that we would have the same joy and desire to worship and generous offering that these wise men had. Not because they in themselves were wise, not because they gave themselves special knowledge, not because they studied and searched, and so they discovered Jesus, they discovered of their own themselves that Jesus is the King and more than just the King of the Jews. But Lord, because you showed them, you revealed this to them, you taught them, you brought them, and even in such humble circumstances and settings, they still worshiped. They saw him as the true King of the Jews. And we thank you, God in heaven, for opening the gospel to the Gentiles. We thank you, God in heaven, for bringing the gospel even across the seas to us here, Gentiles, Lord, who, uh, who are able to know Jesus and worship him and to give homage to the King of the Jews. And we pray, Lord, for Israel today. We pray for the Jews, many of whom you have saved and brought out of darkness to see their true Messiah has come. But many more who still reject, still look for another Messiah, still look for another Savior. Lord, we pray that in these days you too would show them that this son uh, that, that this jesus is your son the long promised savior whom you have sent lord you know the needs of 
each one here. And so, Lord, where we have perhaps grown dull in our faith, stir us up with greater joy and love and worship. And where, Lord, there are those who have not yet seen Jesus for who He is, we pray open their hearts to see Him, to adore Him, to worship Him. We thank You for the clear, focused teaching of Your Word. Focus us on Jesus, we pray. In His name, amen. Go in His peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you peace. And so go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.